want to go live on video but are a bit unsure where to start? Or maybe you already go live a lot but you are scared to sell. Download for free the Live Authentic Storytelling Guide. Six steps to infuse storytelling into your live videos. You'll get practical structure to help you convert your audience from raving fans to loyal customers. Go to www.livestorytellingguide.com and get your free guide today. My guest today is Tess Ball. She is a designer, podcaster, coach, small business owner, and the founder of the Heart Driven Business Academy. And she's a former student. And in today's episode, we have this brilliant full circle moment. She is also amazing with systems. In this episode, you'll learn how to make your business thrive and evolve in this ever-changing world, the anti-guru process that will work for you, and how to make your business easier with systems. This is the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Demas. Let's go. Okay, Tess, welcome to the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. I am so stoked that we get to have a wonderful conversation amidst all this craziness and I get to connect with you. This is going to be great. So I've known you for, I don't even know how many years now, quite a few. Let's just say that. Quite a few. Quite a few, quite a few few years. I taught in a teacher training program that you were a student in. Is that, is that correct? Am I remembering this properly? Yes, you are. I think it was 2011. Okay. It was in 2011. So that is, that, that is a moment or two. Before um, we go on, I, I read your bio, but I always love to hear from people sort of their take on who they are in their own words, what they do, and how they serve the world. I am Tess. Currently, my biggest project is the Heart Driven Business Academy, but I like to say I'm a project person. I always have a lot going on. I always like to have my hands in a few different things at any given point. But at the heart of all of those things, I'm a teacher, I'm a coach, I'm a storyteller, and I'm a connector. So that's I guess at the heart of all of my various projects, who I am. Tell us about the Heart Driven Business Academy and what that is. I come from a marketing background, spent about a decade in marketing, scrapped that, opened a gym, fell in love with small business, fell in love with my small business owner community and got invited to a lot of coffee chats, as you do when you run a successful gym, and decided that I would create a collaborative project in the small business education space, really anti-guru. The mission of the Heart Driven Business Academy is to deliver you foundational education for your first two years in business that is inherently anti-guru. We ask good questions. Um, it is truly collaborative, which is why you're, which is why you're a part of it. I wanted to partner with educators, good question askers, uh, to help business owners with the business stuff. Yeah, and I, I, I so honored to be a part of it. I love this anti-guru sentiment. You know, what does that word mean to you when you when you say guru? So long story, and we might get into this, but I was raised in a very binary system. My mom is definitely, and she'll tell you this. She's like, I'm a black and white person. I don't even see the gray areas. Um, either you like me or you hate me. It's good or it's bad. And I very much took that on. And especially as it related to academics, I was always the good student. I was always the perfect student. Um, I was in the church and like took that to the nth degree. I was going to be a pastor's wife, like really, really wanted to be good at everything. And 
I think the thing that troubles me about this, this term guru as it's used in modern day business education is we assume that somebody has the right answers. And that just, given all my shit, gets under my skin so much because there, I don't believe there's the right answer. I don't believe there's any one right answer for any entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, and the more we can empower people to decide what's good for them, create systems that are good for them, that help them be more productive, creative, make more money, be generally happier and more fulfilled. That's what we need to be teaching people. We don't need to be teaching a three-step process to like Instagram engagement. Oh my gosh, I am. So beyond with you on this, because I I talk about this a lot in my storytelling course that, you know, it's that whole idea of give a man some fish, he can eat for a day, you teach him to fish, he eats for a lifetime, right? Yes. I am not a plug and play, here's the template, fill in the blank person, because I'm always like, it doesn't work. Because it's not you, it's not coming from this authentic, real, intuitive, creative place. And it might work. It might work once. It might work twice. It might work three times. But then you're going to get to a point where you're like, well, shit, this is no longer in alignment with me. And I don't know how to fix it. Yeah. It'll work in the short term, but it doesn't work in the long term. Yeah. So you mentioned process and systemization. What does that mean to you? And how do you go about creating those for yourself and for others? Well, for me, being so deeply ingrained in those very structured binary systems or education system, which teaches you um, it's either A, B, C, or D. Religion, at least the religion I was brought up in, like either you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. You're either good or you're bad. I actually did really well. Systems served me. I was able to really excel in the binary. But then I realized the faulty foundation that I was building that on. And I realized that like, it's not systems that are a disservice to me. It's the fact that we're building systems on this crumbling binary foundation that was the disservice to me. So I had to recreate my systems. I had to figure out like, what does success mean to me? What do, what are my values? Like at the end of the day, I still need something to chase. I still need something to be good at because that's how my entire system is programmed at this point. So now I just have to reconfigure the software. And I think that's in large part, what I help other people do. It's, I don't want to strip you of this drive. I don't want to strip you of your programming, but like, let's use your powers for good. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Use these powers, use the system in which you've been indoctrinated in ultimately, but you've been raised in, that you've been taught to believe in, but use it in a way that's in alignment with who you are rather than from the outside sort of in. Because I could wait until I'm, completely rid of the binary. I can wait till I'm perfect, but like, what good is that? That's never going to happen for me. I mean, maybe, maybe one day we will be rid of the binary, but I don't think so. I don't think I'll get there in my lifetime. So how am I going to use the next, you know, hopefully maybe like 60 years of my life. I'm not going to wait for that shit to happen. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to live well now. I'm going to have good impact now while I'm still in the mess of that. And how does that affect your creativity and the way in which you manifest and create in the world? Going way, way back, I was always definitely, I was the kid that loved the colored pencils, loved my coloring books, loved drawing, loved all of those typical creative things, Um, which is why I think I got into design so early on in my career. I really identified with both the colors and the shapes and the, the feeling of my creativity. And I also like the structure of it. And so in being a designer, new in my career, I got really 
tied up in my own fears. And I was in a meeting with my, with my writing partner and we were trying to create a campaign and I got like really stuck creatively because I, I wanted the best idea. I wanted the right idea. Um, I wanted the idea that was going to get approved by the client. And so he was like, okay, Tess, shitty idea time. Let's get out. Let's get all the shitty ideas out on paper and we'll go from there. Like, let's just create some space. And that I think really was the first time I had a framework as an adult for moving actually into my own creativity, moving into something that I was not just like coloring inside the lines, but like I could really, I had the space now. I was, I had the permission. I was allowed to have bad ideas. So then I could like put them all over the place. And so I think that was the first step. That was the first time I realized that, but it's, it's progressed since then. So now I'm like, all right, what's the, what's the shittiest thing I can do and still accomplish my mission. Now, I think when you ask the right questions, when you create those frameworks, it's really the magic is in those like follow-up questions. Mm. So you set the stage and then you're like, okay, now where can I go with this? And then where can I go with this? And it's the snowball of creativity. Once you get through the door, the rest is almost easy and compounding. Yeah, it's what I call the yes and theory. That it's yes and, and then something happens. Yes and, something happens. Yes and. Rather than saying no to anything, what if, or yes and, it can also be this. Yes. And I'm sure a large part in that too was being involved in yoga, being involved in mindfulness being able to hold space for two opposing viewpoints at the same time. Like I didn't have that growing up. And so I'm sure it's all of these tools, you know, maybe it's shitty ideas, maybe it's mindfulness, maybe it's this other thing over here, but just being able to hold space for, yes, this could be true. And what about this? I talk about this a lot with my students of drawing upon all the areas and aspects of their life in order for their business to thrive and be successful because it's all different parts of you. And when you can fully show up, fully show up as you, that's when you are most likely to draw and attract the student base if you are a coach or or a teacher. But even if you're product-based, that you you telling your story in the fullest vibrancy of who you are, that's what's going to draw in people to you. And a lot of that has to do with using those parts of your life in a creative, unique way that, that is of value to people. It, through one of our other conversations, you had said, you know, you don't just have one story. Yeah. Um, you have many stories and you tell th- these stories in very different ways, specific to the people you're talking to. Like I could talk about mindfulness to somebody in, in a business coaching context. I could talk about, you know, religion in another context. I could talk about performing in another context. They're all me, but the way I deliver that is going to land. And so being able to have multiple lenses that you can tell your story through, it also helps you reach more people. Yeah, because you're so multifaceted, you know, we're not one thing. So therefore our story isn't only one thing. People have this really false perception that they need their story to be about abuse or bankruptcy or homelessness or some huge overarching thing that's their story. And ultimately, yes, some people have that story. That's a part of who they are, but even that is still a part of who they are. It's not the totality of who they are. So you have these sort of frameworks that you've created for creativity and for expression. How then do you take these ideas that you have 
And how do you then bring them out into the world? And is there a process for you of that? Or does it look different every time? Ooh, I haven't thought of this. I think one of the biggest things that I have learned is to run with it as long as it feels good and as long as it serves me. Mm. I definitely am a dabbler. Like I said, I have a lot of projects going on all at once. And so I think as these new like frameworks, these new ideas pop up, I might use it for three months and then set it on a shelf, jump onto something else. I think the most recent one, when we talk about frameworks and creativity, like COVID hits, all your frameworks go out the freaking window. Like, I think if there's one thing I've learned in my life, I will never know what the next year is going to hold. Yeah. As much as I try to plan, something happens and your frameworks go out the window. So you have to be flexible with it. And so I think my most recent framework for creativity that I've run with is like when it comes to scheduling, I think there's a reason like the four hour work week was such a hit. It's because it's a really creative framework for rethinking our, our days, our lives. Um, it's not the standard nine to five formula. And so for me, my COVID working framework is do it when it feels good, stop when it sucks. That's literally my schedule. That's a good schedule to have, my friend. It's a great, it's a great, it's a liberating schedule. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm very privileged to have that schedule. But I think like, again, when you create this framework, you use it as long as it serves you. And like the follow-up questions, like, I'm like, okay, how can I make my work feel good? Why does my work feel sucky right now? And then I can start to really address what's going on in my life by this simple framework. And in three months, it might not be useful to me. I don't know. And then you create a new one. And then I create a new one. But what do you need right now to help you make progress to the next step? I think so often everybody's looking for like the right planner or the right schedule. Or if I can only get my morning routine dialed in for the rest of my life, I'll be fine. No, what, what do you need to do this morning? Maybe that'll serve you tomorrow and the next day and the next day, maybe it won't. But like being flexible with your systems, I think is the answer to that question. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take it. We'll take it. Flexibility. (laughs) We'll take that. You know, it's interesting because I do have a very specific morning practice. I have a sadhana. It's, you know, been one that was given to me and then I've altered it. But it definitely has an aspect after a certain period of time. For a while, I needed the discipline. I needed to create that discipline. And then it became, oh, I need it to now evolve based on where I'm at. I think there is something to discipline when you're an undisciplined or unfocused person, but then eventually you get to this place of like freedom and the need for it, which is in every creative process, right? Well, it's so interesting you bring up sadhana. You are the first person to ever give me a sadhana. And I was so resistant to it, Nick. I was like, I don't want to meditate every morning. I can't do that. That's going to suck. And you're like, okay, what do you do every morning anyway? And I was like, well, I drink my coffee and I walk my dog. You're like, okay, cool. That's your sadhana. Um, Or something probably more elegant than that. Um, But I really took that to heart. And for probably, I mean, I don't know, since 2011, I've like created the perfect ritual with the coffee in the Chemex. I don't use a coffee maker. I do it in the Chemex so that I can watch the water, blah, blah, blah. But I got a partner and I moved to a different city and life changed and I had to mix it up. But because I had that discipline, I now I'm like, okay, I'm grounded enough to change. I think you are totally spot on in that, like the systems, the framework, the discipline is what gives you the freedom to then change. It's what gives you the freedom to play. If you don't have it to begin with, you don't have a foundation to dance on. Right. Then it's just a mess. 
Like, you know, like, I, I think of this a lot in art. It's like, you have to know the rules and, and understand what the rules are. And then in order for greatness, you break the rules. Yes. But if you don't know what the rules actually are, then you're just creating a disaster. Yes. You're just creating a mess. And I think that's the hard part in entrepreneurship is there are no rules. I know. You have to make them. <laughs> and I think that's the part that people don't get though. Like, they go into entrepreneurship and they think, oh, I have to know the rules so that I can break them. So they go learn the three-step process. They learn the easy hacks because they think those are the rules. But like, no, 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 no. You create your own rules. Yeah, you have to create it that works for you and your business. And your business is ever evolving. So those rules are changing, which is why we get this comes us back to this full circle idea of maybe in three months, it's not going to work because it's, it's shifted. The market has dramatically shifted. Something in you has shifted that course you were teaching is no longer resonant. I mean, or doesn't work for you or what have you. It's interesting when I look at my own journey and sort of how it has evolved and shaped over the last couple of years. It really has been about figuring out what works for me, you know, not what works for anybody else, because you can get like you're saying, these gurus, you get advice from a hundred different people and they'll tell you a hundred different answers about how to make it work in the online space, especially. And at the end of the day, it's what works for you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now I want to talk about something that you're really good at and that is the sales process. <laughs> I do think I'm pretty good at that. I know you are. That's what I was like, what is he going to say? That resonate? Oh, cool. Let's talk about it. I'm game. So like, what is your systemization for the sales process? I love the idea of the user's journey. We see it all the time. It's something we can very easily identify with. We first get to know somebody, then they start to like us, then they trust us, and then they buy from us. Might also look like, Awareness, lead generation, fulfillment, and Mm re-engagement. Like there are so many different names we put onto the sales process, but really the idea is you're guiding your people into a journey of mutual benefit. What I think a lot of new business owners especially get maybe inefficient or incorrect, or the way I like to look at it is if you just look at that backwards, if you just flip it on its head a little bit, you'll start to realize that you get more bang for your buck when you nurture the relationships that are closest to you. If you have just even a couple people interested in your product, if you have a couple customers, if you have a even a very small test demographic that already trust you, that are already willing to create a value exchange with you, talk to them and nurture those relationships. How can you get them re-engaged? How can you get them on a subscription plan? How can you ask them for testimonials? How can you get feedback from them to benefit your product? So oftentimes we think of that as the last step, like right, re-engagement or trust. It's at the very end of this journey. I like to say, put that at the very beginning of the journey and then work backward from there. Once you have that trust built, we look at fulfillment. How can you make it really easy for people to hit the add to cart button or book appointment button or download my thing button? Make it super, super easy, simple. How can you be a better guide through that process? How can you make it joyful? Maybe you add in a little bonus note card. Like there are those t-shirt companies that submit just like a little handwritten note. How can you make it joyful? 
and then you work backwards. Now we get to talk about awareness. Now we get to talk about marketing. Now we get to talk about getting people to know you. But unless you have those foundational relationship components built, it doesn't matter how many freaking people you get to know you. If they're going to be disappointed with the product, if they're not going to want to subscribe, if they're not going to want to tell their friends, you're just wasting a lot of marketing dollars. So that's how I tend to look at the sales process and teach it. Yeah, I, I love that you're saying start with the end, not the beginning, ultimately. Yeah. That it's a in reverse process. I like to think of it as a conversation, you know, and rather than because I, I know for me, a lot of my students freak the F out when it comes time to what people deem or term the pivot to sale. And I'm like, there's not a pivot. There's no pivot. You've been having this conversation from the very beginning. And if you haven't been having the conversation from the very beginning, then you haven't been leading your collaborative process properly because it's a collaboration between you as the guide and them as the, what I call the hero or the heroine, the heroine of the story. So that's really, really right dang on what you're saying. Thanks. And I think, you know, for those people who are struggling with conversion, for asking for the sale, for quote unquote pivoting, when you focus on the end, when you focus on the relationships that you already have, that get, that actually helps you build confidence. Yeah, I wouldn't be confident too if I was like shouting from the rooftops, hey, buy my thing <laughs> to like somebody who I wasn't confident is going to benefit from it. Like if you're trying to build awareness and get a million views, but you don't at your core know who you are, what you're offering, how you're serving, if you're not confident in that, like you're not going to be confident with asking for a sale because you don't you don't know it's valuable yourself yeah and that's a practice thing right speaking of like relating it to a yoga practice it's like it takes time to develop this muscle this skill and and it's a process of of unveiling and, uh, and understanding and the more you do it the deeper and deeper it becomes so that it becomes more second nature because it becomes easier yeah there's the first time out of the gate it may not be perfect yeah. it likely won't be and we have to allow ourselves time to understand what the conversation even is speaking of conversation like what is it that i'm really here to offer and how can i best serve yeah absolutely something that you have have said that I want to talk about it is, is about simplifying. We can overcomplicate things. Mm-hmm. How does that show up for you in, in your business? And what do you suggest to other people when that does happen? Ooh, this is, this is a do as I say, not as I do situation. <laughs> oh, because I do, I have a tendency to overcomplicate everything everything in my business because I do like to plan. I do like to create systems. Um, And so really reining it in has been one of my greatest joys and struggles. And I feel like especially now, a lot of people are asking that question. A lot of people are in that soul seeking phase. I mean, we've been stuck inside for months. And so it gives us a lot of time to sit with ourselves. And so we're asking like, okay, what do I really, really at the end of the day want? How can I build my life around that thing? And I think a lot of people, like I, I noticed this in when I was teaching yoga, when I was teaching fitness, I would give people really simple homework, um, like really simple homework, like do these four movements three times before I see you next, or set a timer for five minutes every day and breathe. That's all you have to do. And what I have found is that people wanted to do their homework more when it was a little bit more complicated, when it was a little bit more stimulating, which I found to be so surprising. I'm like, I gave it to you as simple as possible. 
but people wanted that like extra level of complexity. And so what I found is that when you can tap into like, keep your desires, keep your goal really, really, really simple, but find a way to make it exciting for you. When you're in product development, you might not need to add all the bells and whistles right away probably don't need to add the bells and whistles right away. Keep it really, really, really simple, but find one part of that product that you can make super freaking sexy that gets you really excited and stimulated so that you're excited to talk about it. We have to find this balance, I think, as entrepreneurs. Like sometimes we oversimplify it and we make it boring or we add all the bells and whistles and then it becomes daunting and overwhelming and we're like, it, I'm gonna just stop. But if you can like, boil what you're doing, whether it's marketing or product or the conversation, even if you can boil it down to simplest factors, but then like, you're like, okay, how can I make this spicy enough that I want to keep going? I think that's like the happy middle ground. Yeah. And there's this patience that you have to have with yourself, right? When in this, in this process, because I know for me, I like you, I'm an over complicator completely. If I can find a way to complicate something, <laughs> I do it. And, and so it's been this process for me of saying, how can I do this simpler? How can I make this easy? And there's a part of my brain that then takes over and is like, but nobody's going to want that. That's really boring. That's not, and then I have to remind myself, okay, this is the long game. This is a long-term yes. thing. And I can start here, right here at this simple space. And each time I relaunch this product, because generally you're going to launch a product and if it's successful and if it feels in alignment, you're going to relaunch it. And each time I relaunch, I can add more to it, that it doesn't need to be all right now. Every bit and every piece, whether that's a product or a launch, especially launches you all, especially launches, simplify your launch, especially if you do any kind of webinar or live launch series or challenge or whatever it is that you do, the more simple you can make it when you first start, the more successful you're setting yourself up to be. I love this. I teach this. I am bought in. I will say though, that there are two follow-up questions I would offer for that. One, how big is the problem you're trying to solve? And then two, how big is your runway? Oh, yeah. Because if you're trying to ha solve a big problem and you have a big runway, go for it. Make it complicated because you'll learn a lot. If you're like, I actually have a year and I want to solve this really, really big problem and I have no risk of financial implosion, freaking great. Make it complicated. Learn a ton. Like go all like crazy with your mind. Like let it explode. But also be realistic. If you know that you have three months of financial runway and you have four hours a week to do it, just be realistic with your expectations. Could not, could not, could not agree more. Absolutely. It's interesting. I want to, I'm actually going to ask you this question. When you're working with, with your students, do you do 90 day goals? I love 90 day goals. Okay. They're so good for so many people. I like them personally. I use them for me. I do too. This is why I'm asking. I also like two-week sprints. Ooh. So I like a combination of the two. When it comes to my, like, big picture thinking, I generally have a thing that I want to accomplish in about a year. I break that down into, like, okay, what would I have to do every 90 days leading up to that big thing? But then I break my 90-day goal into, like, two-week sprints or one-week sprints. Like, because I 
go hard and fast. I'm a fiery person. And I don't do well with like the slow simmer. It's just not a part of my nature or like, or maybe it could be, but like, again, I'm working with what I have, right? My personality is like, go hard, go fast and like burn that candle out. And I can do that for about two weeks. (laughs) Um, And so I break my 90 day goals down into these like fast pushes. I'm just going to get the shit done. And then I'm like, okay, that kind of, that works, that's done. What's the next thing I get to do to get closer to that 90 day goal? Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I do month. So I do I do 90 days, I do a month, 90 days and then year. Uh and in the month I I set my list of things and I I'm a list Ooh, I love, I'm a list holder. List. Like I have to have my lists and I and I do I I love to check off. I don't know if it's like from childhood or whatever of being able to check it off the list, check it off, check it off. Like I there's something in me that gets validated by being able to make the check mark, right? For me, that is my system. That system works for me. And then within that, I have all this creative freedom to go off that path within the month. That's that's what works for me. And again, it's like, well, what works for you and why? It, it, it goes back to that idea of, well, what is your personality? What is What is your life beyond your personality? Do you have kids? Do you have do you, you know what I mean? Like what, what kind of, what kind of life do you have that will support the system that you create, which is why there isn't a one for everyone. I've tried to give mine to, to students before and they're like, that doesn't work for me. And I'm like, yeah, and that, that's not surprising, but you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know about you, but as a fellow list builder, I want so badly to be able to adopt those like fancy project management tools. And I think you had mentioned one, but like, honestly, I like the project management tool. Like if I'm getting somebody synced up with, you know, some of my work, you know, it's nice to be able to hand stuff off and like, look at those 90 day goals, look at the high level projects, but like, I need my to-do list because I like checking it off so much. Yeah. Project management works for me when working with a team to help everyone stay in process and so that we all know what everyone's doing. Let's put it that way. But for me personally, not interested. Nope. (laughs) That's so funny. That's so funny. And I think like, that's the greatest takeaway. Like Nick and I, for anybody listening, I think we're both really awesome entrepreneurs, like got it in the bag and we're wired very similarly. And still our processes are different. Yeah. Our systems are different. And I think that's, that's the golden piece. And I, you know, I think that that, that is a big takeaway for today that the, this idea of make it your own, make your process your own, no matter what you hear from whatever expert, whatever goo, the, the guru, as you were saying, no matter who it is that's telling you, make it yours because the creativity that you desire, the creativity that is going to erupt, honestly, that's going to flow through you. It's going to come when it's in a system and in a way that works for you. If the system isn't set up for you, then how are you ever going to be creative? Dang. Yes. And I think too, like, I'm not advocating for not asking for help. Um, So I want to make that very, very clear, even though I am very much anti-guru and I don't believe that there is anybody with the right answers. I do believe having people in your life to ask you the right questions like you did for me, Nick, like you asked me the right questions. You gave me a place to start so that I can figure it out for myself. Keep those people close. Agreed. 
every coach needs a coach, right? Like there's a reason that we still keep those people in our lives and it's not to be told what to do. It's to be asked questions to evoke the greatness from us. Yes. And, and we sometimes, we know that in personal development, we know that in, in spiritual circles, but we sometimes forget that in business. We think, oh, well, there's a strategy that works. So I'm going to jump on that strategy. Well, and I think business for so long has been rooted in the patriarchy. It's been rooted in white supremacy. It's been rooted in capitalism. It's been rooted, like we are trained to believe that there is a right answer and that the people who have been doing it before us have all the answers because it's worked for so long. Well, like the system is broken. It's time for a new system. Well, and don't you feel like that there is a new system that's erupting? I mean, part of, and this, it is. Yeah. part of this amazing time during COVID and part of the amazing surge of the online space is that it is A, the wild, wild west, and B, the barrier of entry has fallen. Yes. And we're all able now to make make it work for us. I mean, I'm not saying that there isn't some privilege that comes into play. However, we're creating new ways of being and doing and creating and selling even. I mean, it's it's a whole new process. Yeah. I'm so grateful to be around and alive and not a child and not in my 70s. Like, I feel so grateful to be like, have enough life experience and still like young and naive enough to like be a a real part of it. Like I look at all of these change makers who are rethinking what it means to create corporate structures. Like you look at Dan Price, the CEO of Gravity Payments, who lowered his salary to 70,000, raised all his employees up to 70,000. Like what a cool experiment. You look at Killer Mike and the show Trigger Warning and all of his grand experiments. Like it's such a time we get to try things because it is the wild, wild west, because it is so new, because we're birthing this new thing. Like, I think the magic is going to come in like the experiment. So the better we get at experimenting, not following the formula, the better off we'll be. Yes. Preach. That, that was like a <laughs> preach moment for me because I so agree with that. And it's something that I've really been, I like to, to you know, I like to go and really study and I have trust me, been studying those who came before in the online space. And there's only a small amount of them, right? Because it's it's new. This is new. And so somebody in the online space who has a long-term business is like five years. That's an old timer, right? Right. So I've been studying the way that they do it and what they do and what the gurus will tell you to do. And and at the end of the day, I I just keep coming back to going to have to work for me. And I will take bits and pieces of what they have, of what they have to say, but ultimately it's a trial and error. It's experimenting in the most creative and sort of outside, outside the box, outside the lines, outside the coloring book thinking that I possibly can do to draw in the people that are in a, I use the word alignment again, that are in alignment with that kind of thinking and way of being. Yeah. I mean, it's so cliche, like nobody does it like you, but it's true. It's true. true. And you have to figure out how you do it. Yeah. And that's ultimately your system, especially in the online space. Yeah. Awesome. Tess, any final words of wisdom for our friends out there? Yes. You have choices and you get to create those choices, whatever you're looking at. There's probably a choice you haven't thought of. There's probably an option you don't see. So get 
quiet enough to see those options or get people in your life that are going to help you see more broadly. That is good. And that is very accurate. And I'm so not surprised by that answer coming from you. You, you, <laughs> you definitely helped me see. You've helped me see. Uh, people don't know this, but my first online course was not necessarily successful. It was in the sense that I had students and, and you sent me some feedback because you took the course and you sent me some feedback and it was real and it was honest. And it was like, oh my gosh, she is so right about this. And it sent me on a new course to where I've ended up today. So it's interesting that I helped you with your, how about that for a full circle moment? The universe is just so good. It's just so good. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm honored to be a part of, like, I'm honored to learn from you and teach you and like have this collaborative space. This is what happens, y'all, when you're around good people and sharing happens and generosity happens and curiosity happens. And when ego isn't as present, we get to do this. Like, this is magic. Thank you for being a part of the magic. I really, really appreciate it, Tess. So Thank you, Nick. I really do. Where can my audience find you? Because I know they're going to want to follow you now. Sweet. They can find me at Heart Driven Business Academy. I make you work for it. It's a long one. Um, I make you work for it on Instagram and online. Um, you can find Nick there too. So you can hear us talk more shit. Yeah. Um, having, collaborating have, more there. Having more conversations over there. <laughs> you can also find me at the Shitty Idea Time podcast, which Nick was also on because I can't get enough of you. <laughs> We're obsessed. <laughs> So yeah, find me any of those places. I would love to connect with you. I would love to help you brainstorm. I would love to help you find answers within yourself to questions you've been asking for a while. I'd like to ask you good questions. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Nick. Bye. Bye. If you enjoy this podcast, tell your friends. Please rate, write us a review, and subscribe so we can spread the word and other solopreneurs just like you can find us.